Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. Well, good morning, Simple Church. You guys having a good weekend? I have, uh, I have honestly, honestly been struggling the past few days, and I will ask for your grace today. I've, uh, I've had a bit of a cold. You can probably hear it, and my, my throat has been hurting for the last few days. I have been an un- unlikable person, to be honest with you, because, men, when we get sick, we're like big babies, ain't we? I was, I've been, I've been uh, unbearable, but, uh, but I am here today, and I, I prayed. I said, God, you got to give me the strength to preach today because i got a word that I want to share, and so I'll ask for your grace as I try to sip on my water and maybe suck on a cough drop to help my throat this morning. But my name's Aaron. Welcome to Simple Church. I'm the lead pastor here, and first, let me say this to our guests that are here today. Thank you so much for being here. You could have been worshiping anywhere in Reynoldsburg or Columbus, for that matter, but you chose to be here with us. And can we give our guests a, a round of applause and let them know that we are glad that they are here? Yeah, thank you so much for being here with us. We appreciate you. We are, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump into this, into our message today, but before I do, I want to tell you that I'm, I'm going to be doing something that I haven't done before, and uh, this, kind of, this series has kind of been indicative of that. I've done a lot of these things. Well, I've, I've never done this before, and I've confessed that to you, and so my confession today is, Part of my life change is, is that um, uh, I, I'm getting physically fit and I'm working on, 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 uh, on strengthening my body. And, and so I said, well, you know what I need to do? I need to get in a 5K. And so I'm going to do my very first 5K. And I'm telling you about that because I'm inviting you to come see the hilarity that will be me doing this in a 5K. It'll be like I'm running in slow motion, but not. Yeah, that's what it'll look like. And so I'm inviting you. First of all, it's, it's for a great cause. And you say, Aaron, every 5K is for a great cause. Yes, it is. But this one in particular is the Heart 5K. It's September 12th. Nope, 19th. Excuse me. September 19th. And, uh, and, and I'm going to be running it that day. It's a few days before we leave for our missions trip. But this is for the Heart 5K, and the Heart 5K is for the Heart Food Pantry. We have a food pantry here in town that Simple Church is connected with. We, we support them financially. We support them with, our, with uh, taking donations for them. We serve there. I serve on the board of that food pantry. We love the Heart 5K and so, or the Heart uh, Food Pantry. And so this 5K, it's really personal, and it is for a great cause that we already support. So I'm challenging you to come out, run, jog, or jaunt or walk, do what I'm going to do, just make it look like you're running and walk um, in this 5K and join me. So you can find details on that and to join me on the app. I would love to see you out there to do that. Now, we are in this series called Heroes, and essentially what this series is, is, if you haven't been here, we've been looking at heroes of the faith through the Old Testament. And essentially where we've been landing with these heroes is that these guys, they didn't start their life as heroes. They were average Joes. They were underdogs. They were people that were discarded. They were unqualified. They were people that were counted out. They were used up. They were tossed to the side. These were not people that you would say, yeah, those guys are going to be heroes of the face. In in fact, they were like the least likely people to be chosen. And yet God chose to use them because when you use an underdog or when you use the least likely, 
God receives the greatest amount of glory for that. And so he always chooses people that are the least likely, the underdogs here on this earth to do his work. And so we've been looking at this because each one of these underdogs, when God put his hand on their life, they had an excuse. They had reasons why they couldn't do what he had called them to do. And we've been looking at those excuses week after week. We've explored them and found out how each one of the underdogs overcame those excuses. And so we looked at David. We looked at Mephibosheth, Jacob, Gideon, Esther. And this week, we're going to look at a guy that you probably already know. And his name is Moses. Now, when I say the name Moses, it's just like David the giant killer. You've already got an image in your mind. You know who Moses is. You know, hey, Moses is the guy who wrote the first five books of the Bible. Moses is the guy who led the the Israelites out of Egypt, and he crossed the Red Sea by raising up his arms. This is a guy who's got like an epic beard and looks like Charlton Heston. Like, you know who Moses is, right? We're all familiar with it. We've seen it in the Prince of Egypt and multiple movies that are out there. We're familiar with Moses' story. What you may not know or what may not be very clear to you in those telling of those stories is that Moses didn't start out his career as a hero. He started out as an underdog. He started out with an underdog that had an excuse. And his excuses were rooted in the fact that Moses was an insecure guy. He was insecure. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at those different excuses that he had. And and here's the big idea that I want to give you today before we get into anything, just in case you missed the rest of the message, that when it comes to living our dreams, we all have excuses. Insecurity will get in the way and become a roadblock to living out our dreams or our God-given calling in life. And these insecurities will present themselves in the form of excuses. No matter what it is in our life, it's great or it's small, we can all come up with a reason why we wouldn't do something, right? Or why we can't do something. But God isn't interested in our excuses. He wants to use us despite our excuses. And so with Moses, let me me share a little bit of his story. Because excuses that are rooted in insecurities are really, really personal things. They're things that are deep-rooted, and I'm thankful that God is faithful, He's faithful because he wants to work through those insecurities with you. He's faithful to push on you until you reveal them to him. And then he will patiently deal with them and grant you the grace to deal with them. And that's true in in Moses' story. And so we're going to look at the different excuses that Moses gave that were rooted in his insecurities today. And if you're not familiar with his story, let me just kind of give you a rundown of what's happened. Now, the Israelites are the Jewish people. If you're completely unfamiliar with the Bible, here's a little history. The Jews are God's people, and they were called the Israelites. They came from one guy. Twelve sons came from one guy named Israel, who formerly known as Jacob, if you've been here for this series. And he has these twelve kids, and one of his sons named Joseph gets sold off into slavery by his brothers. Nice story, right? And he winds up in Egypt in a, in a high position and in a position of favor where he is able to bless his family in the middle of a famine. And so all of the Israelites, the Israel and his 12 sons and their wives and their children moved into Egypt to be taken care of during this time of famine. And while they're there in Egypt, they prosper. They marry, they have children, they grow, they set up businesses, and they multiply. And as they multiply, the Pharaoh down the road gets a little uh, insecure about their prosperity he finds it a little disconcerting that there is almost as many Jews as there are Egyptians. In fact, he's almost sure that in the next few years that the Jewish people, the Israelites, will outnumber the Egyptians. And so in his insecurity, he 
issues a decree. He says all of the boys two years and under need to be killed. And so all of the children, all the boys that were two years and under die. And then he said, and when a woman gives birth among the Jewish people, if it's a boy, you will kill it. And he tells all the midwives to do this. And so this is the time. This is the scene when Moses enters the world. He becomes, he, he's born and his mom sees him and is like, oh, this is, the, she, she's, she loves her son. I don't know a single mom that when they have their child, they hate it immediately and go, hey, you know what? <laughs> you can take this one. He's, you can have him. That, that, that she loved her son. And during this time, she knew because he was born a boy that he was going to die. And so her only option was to try to save him. Now, I don't know if this is where your mind would go when you think, oh, I've got to save my child or he's going to die. I've got to hide him. When you can no longer hide him, you know, in the closet or keep him in, keep him in, a, in a cupboard anymore because he's crying now or maybe he's walking. Like, I don't know what she did to preserve his life. I'm not sure. But her inclination was to put him in a basket and put him in the Nile River and just shove him off. Parent of the year. You know what I'm saying? Mad props. Like I think, I would think that if anybody found out that she did that with her son, that her other two children would have been taken from her, but they weren't. <laughs> no, instead, Moses drifts down the Nile River and he lands at a place where the Pharaoh's daughter is bathing or washing clothes well I'm not really sure what she was doing there but she's there and the basket comes up to her and she calls for it to be brought out and she sees that there's a Hebrew child in it and she decides she's going to keep the Hebrew child and Moses's sister Miriam who had been following the basket wandering through the bulrushes along the Nile sees that it happens and she makes herself known and she says hey listen if you want I know somebody that can take care of the child for you that can nurse she's ready to go and the Pharaoh's daughter says, let it be so. So what does Miriam do? She goes and gets Moses' mom. And ladies, let me tell you, this isn't the setup right here. Be jelly. Get ready to be jelly. Not only does she have a child that's jealous. Sorry for those of you that don't. Not only does she have the child, but now the Pharaoh's daughter is paying her to raise her own child. Now, isn't that a nice setup? How many of you moms would like to be paid for raising your child? That's how we know God is a businessman, amen? Because only in his economy can you have a child and he's going to make sure you get paid to raise it, right? I'm going to create a demand or create the market and then we're going to pay for it. Anyway, it's just the way my mind works. Excuse me. So Moses essentially grows up in the palace. He grows up knowing his mom, but he has the best of both worlds. He gets to know his Hebrew culture, but he also gets to know the Egyptian culture. He lives in it. He has all the luxuries and the amenities that they have. In fact, the Hebrew people have now become slaves, the Jews are now in slavery under harsh labor rules and laws. And they are afflicted. And Moses is seeing all this happen. But he watches it from the luxury of his penthouse. And his people, if you know the Jewish people, they're, they're very vindictive. If you are on the wrong side, you are a dog. And Moses would have been considered a dog to his own people because he was in the palace and not slaving with them. And so Moses becomes a little restless as he sees that his people are, are being afflicted. And one day he sees a taskmaster, an Egyptian taskmaster, beating one of the slaves, one of his people. And he lashes out. And in his anger towards the taskmaster, he, he kills him. Buries the body. Feels like everything's going to be okay. Like, like the Jewish people would be happy about this. Until a few days later when he comes across two Jewish guys that are are arguing, and he steps in the middle of them, and he says, hey, guys, let's not make the battle between us. Let's not do that. 
And the one guy looks at him and says, what are you going to do? Are you going to kill me too? Moses has one of those moments where he realizes his reputation is out. His reputation is out as a murderer. And everybody knows it. And so Moses does what the only thing he knows that he can do, because if ever, all of his people know it, it's likely to get reported back to the Pharaoh that he's killed an Egyptian and his life would be over. And so he runs. Now, fast forward Moses' story, 40 years. He's in the desert. He's hiding out in the wilderness. He now has a wife. He has a kid and he's got a career. And he is a sheep herder. And he's out there taking care of the sheep. And Moses comes across something peculiar. Now, if you've ever spent some time in the desert or you know what's going on in the desert, the desert is a really dry, hot place. And so to find things just randomly on fire, I can't imagine was going to be like a weird thing, right? But what Moses sees this day on this particular day where we're going to pick up our story is something very strange indeed because there's a bush that's on fire. And it's not the fact that it's on fire, the Bible says, that he turns aside to see it. It's because it's on fire and it doesn't burn up. And from the bush, an angel of the Lord had, had, had landed here and put himself in the, in the bush and he caught it on fire. And it's, it's just this strange spectacle to Moses. So he turns to the side. And from out of the bush, as God speaks to him, Moses, Moses. I'm not sure why God sounds like Sean Connery, but he does. And, and so God speaks to Moses and says, listen, here's the deal. I've heard my, the cry of my people. I've heard their affliction. I've heard that, that, they, that they are suffering and I'm going to send you to them. I want you to lead them out. And he doesn't say, I want you to go and get a sword. He doesn't say, I want you to lead an army. What he says is, I want you to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And this is where Moses pushes back a little bit. This is his response. Now, we're going to be in Exodus 3. And let me just say this. If you need a Bible today, we would love to give you a Bible. We believe that you need to own one. You need to have one in your life because it will transform your life. And we would love to gift you with one. If you don't have one, if you would put your hand in the air, one of my service hosts will get you one. Just keep it up and we'll get you one. We've got a couple right here. Uh, There you go, Tim. Thank you. Just keep your hand up and Tim will get you one. Uh, But the verses will also be up on the screen here. And so we're going to be in Exodus 3, verse 13. This is Moses' response to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Well, then what shall I tell them? Moses knew that with the people of Israel that he lacked credibility. See, he wasn't raised like them. He knew only the, the palace life of which they would have resented him. And he's a murderer. He's a murderer, and they know who he is. And to come back and for him to say, hey, I'm here to deliver you, well, the people would have rejected him. They would have associated him with the bad guys. He would not have been considered a good guy. So what Moses lacked was credibility, and that was his first insecurity. Moses knew that he lacked the credibility with those people to be able to lead them out of Egypt, to be able to deliver them. And we understand credibility, right? Like, we get that. I mean, that's why whenever you were single and you were out on the, uh, looking for your mate, who did you always have with you? You had your wingman with you because your wingman gave you some credibility. Oh, no, it's not that you, it's not that, oh, well, he must be a likable person. He's got someone with you. No, the, the job of the wingman is to go up to the, to the handsome guy or the pretty girl and to chat you up. 
hey, have you met my friend? Do you know him? He's really successful. He's, it's to chat you up. It's to be a wingman. It's to offer you credibility. Because someone else or what someone else has to say about you is what gives you credibility. You all know what I'm talking about, right? Or, or is everybody sleeping already? Look. Hello. It's credibility. I remember I, some of us get jobs this way. I, I always, anytime I'm trying to apply for a job, I want to find out, do I know somebody that works there? You know why? Because I'm aware that my experience does not always give me the credibility I need to even get the job interview. So I try to find out, do I have a friend that works there? And if I do, then he's going to call up the boss and say, hey, listen, my buddy Aaron, I don't know if you're considering him or not, but that guy's hilarious. You need to hire him. And my, my experience goes right out the window and my credibility goes through the roof because my friend said, hire him. You guys know what I'm talking about. I've gotten a job that way. There was, there was a job I got in Pickerington working for an oral surgeon's office. And I put it in my resume and, and submitted, you know, I submitted the, the resume. I called and said, did you get my resume? Yes, we received it. I waited a week. I didn't hear anything. I called back. Just wanted you to know, very interested in the position out here. I'd love to, love to get an interview. I'd love to talk to you more about the opportunity. Nothing. I got nothing back from these people. Thank you. We appreciate you calling and following up. Like I'm doing, I'm checking all the right boxes. I'm doing what you're supposed to do when you want to get a job, right? That's what the grownups tell me anyway. So, and so I'm doing this and <clears throat> I decided to go scope out the place because I'd never been there before. So I drive by it and I look to the left of the building and there's another office there and it's, and it's Dr. Michael Connor's office. And I'm like, I know that guy. He's a dentist. This guy's an oral surgeon. Surely they talk to each other, the next door neighbors. I, I had taken care of this guy in, a, in, a, in a, a financial capacity when I was in the finance world. I, I was just the customer service guy, but I gave him great service. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to give this a shot. Hey, Dr. Connor. Uh, listen, if you've ever had anything nice to say about me, if you could, uh, if you could just do it now, that'd be great. I'm trying to get a job next door. And so he went next door and told, told the oral surgeon, he's like, yeah, you got to Aaron's a great guy. And my resume went from being in the pile, the bottom of the pile to the top of the pile, and I got the job. Credibility. It's credibility. When somebody else speaks on your behalf, you gain credibility. And when God calls us to do something new, I think our first excuse is rooted in this same insecurity, isn't it? So I'm not I'm not credible. maybe it's because you lack experience. Maybe you've never done this before. It's brand new. You don't have the education. You're not really sure. You've you've never experienced this before, what God's calling you to do. It could be something great. It could be something simple as getting to know your next-door neighbor. But whenever God presses something on you like that, puts it on your heart to do it, maybe to share your faith, you're like, oh, I've I've never been here before. Who am I to share my faith? Who am I to tell them about Jesus? Like, I've got no credibility with these people. But let me tell you this, that with God, your credibility isn't based on your experience, but rather it is based on your obedience. That's worth repeating, and I will. Your credibility isn't based on your experience. It's based on your obedience. Are you willing to be obedient when God says, hey, this is the thing I've got for you to do. This is my plan. This is my purpose. Will you be obedient? That's when you gain credibility. It doesn't matter if you lack experience. If God has given you a dream or a calling, your obedience matters way more to him than your past. Maybe those of you, you'd say, Aaron, but you don't understand. I lack credibility because I've actually done some bad things. My behavior in my past does not equate to this is a credible guy. Well, if that's you, let me, let me speak something to you. 
I understand that your history is your history. It is what it is. There's no going back and changing that. But we serve a God who makes all things new. See, here's the great thing. When you turn to Christ, he gives you his Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit does is he begins to change your heart. And then he begins to change your mind. And when those two things have been changed, what you do with your hands and the way that you live your life begins to change. God changes you from the inside out. It is his job to transform you, to make you brand new. And that's exactly what he does. So if you feel hopeless today because you lack credibility because of your past, let me just tell you, God makes everything brand new. If you don't know Jesus, I'll introduce it to him at the end of the service. So where do you feel like you lack credibility in your life? Is it keeping you from chasing your God-given dream? And so God tells Moses, we'll pick our story back up, and God tells Moses, when they ask who sent you, tell them my name is I Am. Now there's just weird stuff in your Bible, okay? Other than this bush that's burning and like it's not actually burning up. God telling him his name is I Am. Like you just stop for a second. Can you imagine having this conversation with God? First, I'd be freaking out, okay, just so you know, if God was talking to me, like, audibly through a burning bush. There's no way I would keep my composure like Moses did. I don't know how they did this. The description's not there in the Bible as to his state of mind and how he managed that. But I'm, like, I'm sorry, what, what's your name again? I am. And, and how do you spell that? I want to get it right whenever I talk to Pharaoh. Um, it's I am. Okay, so... I am. Uh huh. Yeah, actually, it's the great I am. Oh, okay, that makes it better, right? Am I the only one? Okay. But what, what God's doing is offering him credibility. He's like, tell them that you come in my name. I'm going to be your credibility. You don't need to sweat that. Excuse number one, out of the way. But Moses pushes back. Because it's great that you're going to give me some credibility. It's great that you're going to send me. It's great that you made me brand new, Jesus. But I got another problem, Moses says. Verse 4, or chapter 4, verse 1, Moses answered and said, What if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Moses' second insecurity was rooted in whether they would believe him. He felt like he had a lack of evidence. There's a lack of proof here that you've actually sent me. Like, it's great. I'm going to show up and say the great I am sent me. But what is the proof that I'm able to back this up that you actually sent me? They're never going to believe me. Because, see, they know who I was. They're going to say, well, you're Moses. You're the guy that lived in the palace. Or, or you're Moses the murderer. Or what's your secret power? Are you going to run away? Like, you know, because that's what they know of Moses. He's like, How, what proof do I have? What if they don't believe me? Thanks for the credibility, God. I'm just not sure. I have no proof. And I, I love God's response. And th- this is a message in and of itself. And so I'm going to get excited for a second, and then I'm going to back off of it. Because God says something that's incredible and very simple that I don't want you to miss. His response to Moses when he says, what's my proof? God says, what's that in your hand? God wasn't asking for Moses to go on a quest. Like, you know, proof that God's called you. You went on a quest. You found the Holy Grail. You, you know, you slayed the dragon. You did whatever. Some kind of mythical thing. Some epic thing that you've accomplished in order to prove that you are worthy. And 
God doesn't send him on any quest. He doesn't say you need to go get or you need to do. He said, what's in your hand? Now, Moses is a shepherd. God wasn't asking for something uncommon. He was asking for something common. What do you have? And Moses responds, I've I've got a staff. See, a shepherd would use a staff to guide his sheep, to protect his sheep, and to walk up the big hills. That's what he used his his staff for. God says, I'm going to take something that is common to you, and I'm going to use it as proof that I sent you. So he tells Moses, he says, throw your stick onto the ground, and if you throw your staff onto the ground, it's going to become a snake. Now, first of all, if God is talking to me, I'm out. I'm not doing it. I'm not playing that game. And even if I did play the game and I threw my stick to the ground and it became a snake, I'm not doing the next thing God says to him because once it becomes a snake, God says, now grab it by its tail. I'm sorry, God, I'm out. You need to send someone else to do that because I'm not touching that snake. You know what I'm saying? You can't trust a snake. I'm not touching it. But Moses reaches down and grabs the snake by the tail and it becomes a staff again. This is God's proof. He says, I'll give you proof. And you don't need to go get it. We'll just use what you got. How many of us are that way? We feel like, hey, what, how do I have proof that you called me to do this, God? And God's not, by the way, God's not intimidated by your need or your desire for proof. Gideon wanted proof. We talked about that a few weeks ago. He wanted proof, and God answered. He's not intimidated. Go ahead, ask him for proof. And oftentimes you're going to find that when God gives you proof, it's something you already have. He'll use relationships, conversations, or some kind of event in your life to prove to you that call, whatever it is. He'll use those things, what you already have. I remember when I was planting this church, when we were just planning about it, when I was praying about it, I was distraught. I was broke. I was in my office. I was by myself, and I'm bawling my eyes out. I'm like, God, I don't even know. I don't think you got the right person. I mean, it's nice that I got some credibility because you've sent me, but how do people know? I was insecure. And God said, what do you have? And I remember he took me back to a moment when I was 16 years old and I first felt God's call in my life. And I shared that with my, my youth pastor. And I said, I feel like God's called me to ministry. And he said, I'll confirm that call. He said, I can see that in your life as well. And I began walking with him and he began to, to lead me and give me opportunity for ministry. And he would take me with him as he, as he pastored and he would allow me opportunities in the youth group to lead a little bit. And when I was 18, he gave me a book. And in that moment when I was asking God about planning this church and he said, what do you already have? He reminded me that I had this book. You say, oh, what's so secret about the book, Aaron? Can I read the book? What's really great about it? It's My Utmost for His Highest by a guy named Oswald Chambers. It's a classic in Christian literature. It's very hard to read. He says some difficult things in here. But it wasn't the content of the book that mattered to me. It wasn't the content of the book that confirmed. It was what was written in the front of the book by the guy who gave it to me when he encouraged me to follow after my calling. I remember God reminded me that I had that book, that I had received this book when I graduated high school. I was 18 years old. And God pointed me back to it. And I, I went and found the book, and I opened it up, and I just wept. And God said, I've been preparing you for this day. And I told you way back when, now it's time to stop doubting yourself and let's go forward. You may not have a book, but I am certain that whatever God has called you to do, he's given you conversations. He's given you relationships. He's given you events in your life that if you were to take inventory, you cannot deny God's call on your life. That's your proof.
that he's called you to do something. What do you have in your hand? And let me say this, that once you've identified what it is that you have in your life, it's time to move forward. It's time to to let go of the excuses and to be obedient, to move forward with those dreams, to move forward with those callings. Because this insecurity that you have, that you need other people to believe you, if you wait until everybody believes that God has called you to do a thing, you are going to be waiting an awful long time. Why? Haters going to hate. I don't know what to tell you. Serious. There are not people that are called to believe what you're called to believe. And when God confirms it in your life, it's time to stop living your life in a way that will please them or lead them to believe that God's given you this thing to do or given you this dream. Now with Moses, those first two insecurities, you're going to notice, you're going to notice something about them, the qualities of them. His insecurities were placed in other people. First one is credibility. Other people hold your credibility, right? It's in their minds that you are credible. He was concerned. He was insecure about whether they would think he was credible. That was on them. And then he said, whether they would believe me. Now, in sales, we learned that these are the fluff objections. And when you learn sales, you learn that people are going to give you a couple objections in the beginning, like, oh, I can't really afford it right now, or this is a bad time. Those are fluff objections. You need to overcome those objections and find out what the actual objection is, and then you can begin to wheel and deal and do business. And I'm thankful that in this situation that God was faithful with Moses and patient because he continued to push him. He said, okay, I got the credibility. I got the proof. What else do you need? Those are insecurities in other people. They're real. I get it. We've addressed them, though. We're good. And Moses, he finally relents. He finally relents to what his actual insecurity, the actual reason why he didn't want to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And it's found in the next verse in, in Exodus four ten. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. He said, I have trouble with words. I'm not a good speaker. Don't talk too well. And you want me to go and stand before a pharaoh? You want me to go and stand in the grandeur of his courts, in front of all of his people, his wise men, his council, his children, all of the people, and you want me to, to speak? Give me a sword. Give me an army. Let's roll. But speak? I'm not, I'm not eloquent. I, I, I've never been good, and I never will be. That's what he says. And then he finishes, he says, I am slow of speech and tongue. Now, what we assume that that means is that Moses had a stutter. You know, as a kid, we grow up and we sing this song that, that, uh, that, that let my people go. You know, this is Moses going to the Pharaoh, and that's the line, and you sing that over and over again. But it was more likely, let my people go. This is Moses. Y'all are really uncomfortable right now. You don't know whether to laugh. But that's, that's, I'm not making fun. I'm saying that's likely what it was. Moses had a, had a speech problem. And this last insecurity was based on a personal flaw. He had a personal flaw that made him feel like he couldn't do what God asked him to do. And so Moses here is finally being honest with God, which I think is a great place to be. Because it's not like God doesn't know. It's not like he didn't know that Moses had a speech impediment. 
And he goes, and the second Moses tells him, hey, God, I don't know if you know this or not, but like I stutter, you know. And God goes, oh, I'm sorry. Are you Moses Huffman? I was looking for Moses Robinson. He must be around the other side of the mountain. Let me go on the other side and find him. Like this is not God. He doesn't make mistakes like that. He knew that Moses had an issue. And he said, I'm going to use you anyways. He put his finger right on the thing that he knew Moses was going to be uncomfortable with. He says, this is my purpose and this is my design. His purpose and his design was found in his imperfection. So Moses is holding on to this and he's like, no, I, I, I don't want to do this. I, I can't do it. And I, I imagine like, like, I'm sorry, I can't read my Bible. I have to actually read it and like imagine what's happening. And so I imagine as soon as Moses says, look, I'm slow of speech, that God responds this way. There's a scene in the movie Aladdin, Disney's Aladdin, where a genie is talking about being a genie and he's like, phenomenal cosmic power. Itty bitty living space. Do we know the scene? He makes himself really, really big and frightening-like. And I imagine God responding to Moses in this way. Because look what he says. As soon as Moses says, hey, by the way, I, I can't talk. God responds. And I imagine that God got really big and three inches from his face. It didn't really happen. It's extra biblical. But, like, I imagine it in my head, okay? I'm a little crazy. And he says... God says to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes the deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. This is a powerful moment for Moses. Because God just said, if you'll be obedient, I will take care of that flaw. And Moses misses it. And I think too often times we miss it too. God is asking us to step out and be obedient, to step out in faith. What doesn't make sense in the natural makes perfect sense in the supernatural to God. And he's asking us just to be obedient. What is it God's called you to do? What is the dream that he's given you in your heart? Maybe it's a business concept. Maybe it's to see your relationships restored. I'm not sure. But I think me and you, we have a tendency to be just like Moses because even though God says, who is it that does this? Who makes the deaf and the mute? Is it not me? I'm aware that you've got an issue. Now go. Moses responds with a, pardon me, Lord. Send someone else. The second time he says no. He's so insecure, he misses his miracle. And yes, God still uses Moses to deliver the people from Egypt. But here's Moses standing in front of the Pharaoh because God says, here's what I'll do. I'll send you your brother Aaron and your brother Aaron's going to walk alongside you and he'll speak for you. But Moses could have rode in triumphant to Egypt. He could have been the one to declare God's words and instead, this is Moses in front of the Pharaoh. Moses is whispering in Aaron's ear what God has told him and Aaron speaks to the Pharaoh declares God's word. Moses misses it because he's not willing to be obedient. When God put his hand on the most uncomfortable thing in his life, his flaw, his speech impediment. He says, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do that. And I think, I think there's some of you here, you're the same way. There's a, there's a song you've been playing your entire life. It's a record that's gone round and round for you. And it's a meatloaf song. (laughs) 
And it's, and I would do anything for God, but I won't do that. No, no, no. I won't do that. Thank you, Chris. We've been singing the same song and dance. God's called us to something, to be obedient to something. We're just refusing. No, just anything, God. I'll do anything for you, but I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm insecure. Don't you understand? That exposes me. And God's like, take the step. Take the step. So what do we do? How do we deal with this? In closing, I'm going to tell you this. There's two things that we can do that we need to do about our insecurities. I don't have a see I don't have I don't have like the answer for you today, but here's two things you can do that you can begin to walk out today. The first thing is remember that God knows you and God is not limited by you. He's not limited by you now. He's not limited will not be limited by you tomorrow. He made this world all by himself without you. The Bible talks about God and in reference to who he is, it says that now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ever ask or think. That means the moment you can think something, the moment you can create something in your mind or imagine it, he is so far past you. God doesn't need you. He's not limited by your flaws. And you need to remember that. His power is limitless. His knowledge is huge. It's infinite. God's not limited by your flaws. The second thing you need to remember is that our imperfections don't keep us from our destiny. They position us for it. Your flaw is actually your passport to where God wants to take you. Think about that. You mean you would, God would allow me to go through what I've gone through, to be born this way, to have experienced this tragedy or just so? He could put his hand on it and use it. Yep. It's the God we serve. He'll allow it. So he can put his glory on display in your life. Your imperfections don't keep you from your destiny. They actually position you for it. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, across this room, I'm aware that everybody's on a different place in your spiritual journey. But there are those of you specifically that I will speak to now. I promised you that I would introduce you to Jesus, and now is your moment. You say, Aaron, I've got some insecurities about stepping forward, about this adventure with Christ. See, I've tried this before. I've tried to clean myself up and come to Jesus. You don't know what I've done. You don't know my past. I've, I've tried to get my life right before I come to him. But let me tell you something. If that's you and you're trying to get yourself together, if you're trying to be perfect before you come to Jesus, that's like taking a bath before you get in the shower. There is no point. Jesus is the shower. Jesus is the thing that will clean you up. There is no amount of perfection that you need to come to Christ. And so today, the call is here for you. If you're willing to lay aside your insecurities and your abilities to be perfect, and you're willing to surrender and say, Lord, you make me right. You clean me up. Then today is your starting point. To begin this relationship with God starts with a prayer. 
And if you're here today and you say, Aaron, I'm tired of living with my insecurities. I'm tired. I'm tired from trying to clean myself up. I need Jesus. And you want to begin that relationship with him today. If that's you, I'm going to give you a prayer here in a moment. And you want to be counted in on that prayer. If you would just shoot your hand in the air, I will include you in on that prayer. Just shoot your hand up now. Let me know that you're here. Come on. Come on. Thank you. Look, there's a very, very simple prayer that we pray. It's a conversation with God that acknowledges Jesus and what he's done for your life because Jesus is the only way to God. It requires repentance, a turning away from the way you've been doing things and learning how he does things and how he wants you to live. If you want to be included in all that prayer, you can pray it out loud, you can pray it in your heart, whatever you want to do, but you need to mean it. And it goes like this, Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that you came and that you died and rose from the dead for me, for this world. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Transform me, make me brand new, imperfections and all. Take all of me. Fill me with your spirit. Show me how to live for you. And I'll spend every day doing that, no matter what the cost. Thank you, Jesus. Now, Lord, I pray for every, every person within the sound of my voice, those that are watching via live broadcast, those that are listening to the podcast later this week, months, years down the road, whenever they're listening, wherever they are now, I pray, God, for your strength, for your encouragement. Lord, we are a people that hold tightly to our insecurities. Lord, may we be given the grace and the faith to release those insecurities to you, to be honest with you about them, and then to move past them as we step out boldly in faith, to follow after the dreams that you have given us, to follow after the callings that you have placed upon our lives, to reach different people groups, to reach our neighborhoods, to reach our communities, to reach our people at work, to reach our families. Wherever you have placed us, God, may we be obedient and be that light in whatever capacity you've called us, despite our imperfections. God, this is a work we need you for. We can't do it without you. We ask you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. And at the end of every one of our services, we offer reflection time. We offer an opportunity for you to decide, you know what? God's speaking to me today, and I need to do this. And I challenge you, if God is speaking something to you, to write it down. Something shifts inside your head when you write something down. You commit to it. Pull the connection card out of the seat in front of you. Write something down. Drop it in the offering bucket as they go by. We'll pray with you that God will do that work in your life. We believe that he will. We believe that he can. We believe that he does. But take a moment to reflect. Decide how you need to respond to this message today. And then we'll come and close the service.